I had a, I was a young Christian. I was a young girl I had my heart set on and she was an even younger Christian. And we were trying to work out the will of God. And uh, of course, every bone in our body said, yeah, 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 let's go for it. But uh, we didn't have that peace from the Lord that it was his will for us to develop our relationship. And one time Mia had been at my place and um, she'd written on a little pad on my desk, Isaiah 6022b. And I looked it up and there it was, I am the Lord and in its time I will hasten it. Ah, what a mature message from one so young. Anyway, four years later was in his time when we uh, finally had his go-ahead to marry. Isaiah 60:22b. This is a great chapter. Um, oh, I'm going to have trouble reading that. You have to see the back of my head, which is even worse. But anyway, here we go. In my Bible, the chapter is called "The Ingathering of the Dispersed." Now, it's a very rich and deep passage uh, with many layers of the Lord's fulfilment of His purposes for Israel. There was the not too distant future; He would bring them back. He promised. Uh, in 1948, the world experienced an amazing thing that Israel was re-established as a nation. That was also an ingathering of God's people. And we also know, certainly by the passage that was read to us, you know, there's some amazing promises about Jerusalem which have never been fulfilled, but will be fulfilled in the end times. So there's three layers, I see, of how the Lord achieved his purposes in gathering his people together. Now think about the context of when this is written. Um, exile to Babylon was just around the corner. You know, God's people had ignored the message of the prophets to repent and turn back to him, to put away their idols. So God said, that's it, I've had enough. And so at the time of Isaiah, they were brought to enter a very, about to enter, a very dark period of exile. The temple was going to be looted, the temple destroyed, the walls demolished. And that's what God, that's what they're looking at happening around them. Now, I'm sure the Israelites at the time thought, but what about the promises of God? The promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Remember, there are three layers of these promises. I will give you a land. And he mentioned the borders. And now this land is being totally overrun by the Russians. I mean, the Babylonians. <laughs> right? Is God not going to keep his promise about the land? We're going to lose it forever? God promised Abraham multitude of descendants, more than the stars in the sky. Well, Lord, your descendants are being wiped out, and now we're being scattered to the ends of the earth. Uh, Lord, what are you doing? And the third element of God's promise to Abraham, the covenant, was that all the nations on the earth would be blessed through you. Well, look, how does this exile, demolition that's coming our way, does this mean you're going to abandon your promises? Uh, have we blown it for good? Well, as we've already seen, no, God had already promised that he would bring Israel back from the exile. And, you know, Daniel understood 70 years, through reading the scriptures, he knew 70 years he would restore Jerusalem 
Well, how did he do that? He was, um, went on. There we go. Sorry the text is so small. Even sorry because now I've got to read it. But here we go. 70 years hence. We have here from Ezra chapter 1. Uh, sorry, I'm going to be better reading from here. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Remember the Babylonians came and looted the temple and destroyed it. And Babylon looked like they're going to be forever in charge. But the Persian empire came through and wiped out Babylon in a hurry. So Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a home at Jerusalem. Well, how did God do that? Which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then a few verses later, and all who were about him aided them, uh, about them, aided them with the vessels of silver and gold and goods. Cyrus, the king who brought out the vessels for the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, Cyrus gave all of those back. Take them back, re-establish the temple. Now, I'm sure that when the people of Israel were hearing Isaiah's word of how God would restore Jerusalem and bring back the silver and gold and wealth of the nations, the kings would supply it, the people saying, tell him he's dreaming. How is this ever going to happen? But God did it. In an amazing way, as per Ephesians 3.20, more than we could ask or think, God brought it all back through Cyrus. In 70 years' time, the nation of Israel was restored and rebuilt. Well, was that the end of God's fulfilment? Well, we know, Lord, it's great that you did that and you brought... Israel back and they rebuilt the temple again and rebuilt the walls as Ezra and Nehemiah. But a few centuries later, the Romans would occupy their land and again they'd be in uh, you know bondage to foreign powers, not free. Israel's true king would come and be rejected by them. So ultimately, again, in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem was, what did I say, raised to the ground? R-A-Z-E, razor. You know. The walls were destroyed, the temple destroyed, and again, the nation of Israel dispersed throughout the nations. So again, you think, well, they had a second chance and they blew it. Had God's promises failed? Was this the end of his promise to Abraham? the land, the peoples, the nations being blessed through you? Well, I'm obviously going to say no. It was not the end, even though it really looked like the end. At least in the Babylonian exile, they were you know, scattered in a particular region, but now we know they spread you know, to the ends of the earth. The land of Israel was 
lost, inhabited by others, only to be returned and re-established on May the 14th, 1948. That, after 1900 years, Israel was restored. Even though, humanly speaking, the chances of that were Buckley's. They just lost six million people to the Nazis. That's a miracle. When's the last time you met a Babylonian? An Amalekite? A Philistine? Oh, I mean, lots of Philistines, kind of think of it, but any, when you, when have you last met a Canaanite? All those cultures destroyed, we disappear forever. But Israel was kept over 1900 years and there's no apparent means of them remaining as a nation other than their scriptures and their faith and the faithfulness of God. The many descendants were scattered but returned to the homeland. Yes, amidst war and strife and conflict has been happening ever since. A much fought over piece of territory that. And the blessing, and the blessing to the nations? Well, we know, don't we, that it's now being fulfilled through the taking of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be there at the throne, worshipping the Lord. The King of God has grown. The promises of Abraham, that blessing to the entire world. This God has been fulfilling his purposes. But is he now set aside, well, forget the land. Well, no, he's restored that. Forget the people. I mean, the promises he made to God, to, uh, that God made to Abraham, he will fulfill. Now, I'm going to tell you, in 40-something years of you know, preaching and sharing the word, I have never, ever spoken about this next passage. Romans 11. I'll be honest, I don't even quite, I can't say like it, but I certainly don't understand it. I never saw it as important until I was forced to read, prepare for today's message, Isaiah 60. So I'm learning something here today. Throughout the Romans, you know, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jew first, also to the Greek. That the promises were there. We're all consigned to sin. We're all, you know, we're all sinners. We're all saved through faith, uh, through the work of Christ. But in chapter 9 and 10 and 11, Paul kind of digresses and talks about Israel. By now, Paul was called a hater of Israel. Now, they certainly hated him. Because he was preaching their covenant without circumcision, without the law of Moses. He was a heretic and he should be stopped. And they stoned him and tried to kill him. And yet Paul goes on to say, look, I gladly die if it meant my, my, my brethren, Israelites, come to faith. But in chapter 11 he says, so I ask, have they, the Jews, stumbled so as to fall? By no means. But through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Yes, the people who, the vineyard, you know, who, who didn't pay rent to the landlord, Jesus said the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. Through Israel's rejection, the gospel is then opened up to the whole world. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion, their full inclusion mean? 
For if their rejection means a reconciliation of the world, that will their, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And he goes on to say, Israel is the first olive tree, the native tree. And now we've been, the Gentiles have been grafted in to that tree and part of the same structure. And he ends up by saying, well, don't you think God can re-bring back the Jews and graft them back into the original tree? Of course he can. Now, let's press on. So he then says later on, here we go, so all Israel will be saved. Again, we continue in Romans 11. Lest you be wise in your own conceits, he's writing to the Gentiles, I want you to understand this mystery. Brethren, a hardening has come upon the part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles come in. You know, Jesus said, uh, this gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. We know that this parable of the wheat and the weeds, the, the, the worker said, let's pull out the weeds. No, 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 wait, because you can't tell the difference. We'll wait till the full harvest of wheat comes in. Then we'll pull out the weeds and then we'll gather the wheat. Now that's my understanding of the end times. More about that in a minute. And so all Israel will be saved. I've underlined so. It's not, we'll bring in all the Gentiles and then all Israel will be saved. When all the Gentiles come back in and as he says here, the nation of Israel comes to an awakening, a repentance and faith in the same gospel that you and I believed in. There's only one gospel. There's not a second one for the Jews. Okay. Then all Israel will be saved. We're going to see later on, we are the Israel of God. He says the same in Galatians. We'll see it in a minute. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God. For your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. God don't make promises that he don't keep. He will fulfill his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And to David, your son will reign forever. We haven't seen that happen yet, have we? Unless you understand that Jesus is already king of kings and lord of lords. The rest of the world will catch up with us. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. So God's promises to Israel can never be broken. He hasn't said, nah, forget it, write them off. Well, that's what I'd do. Just write them off. But God is faithful and he cannot and will not do that. By, By the way, that's a great promise for us. God has called you. He's given you the gift of eternal life. It is irrevocable. There's nothing you can do to jump out of his hands. Isn't that great? Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy someday. Oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. 
We have an amazing God, don't we? I mean, do we really understand it? No, we do our best to try. One day we'll fully, fully, fully understand it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever. He has written history. He holds the entire human history in the palm of his hand. He knows the end from the beginning. And it is his purpose. That's the only, I, I, look, I'll be honest. I look at Russia and the Ukraine, I think, Lord, who's driving the bus? And he says, I'm driving the bus. This, no, we don't see it yet how he's going to use it, but he will to his glory. Now that made me think about God's glory. Oh yes, <laughs> my contentious opinion. Like I said, this is the first time I've ever preached this. Personally, I'm not a pre-mill, pre-trib kind of guy. Now a lot of people who insist they've got the map all figured out and here's how God's going to do it. There are, I personally am a millennial. I do not think that there is going to be a 1,000 year literal reign on earth. I think this is already the 1,000 year Jesus reigning on earth. However, that's another story. The parable of the wheat and the seeds, uh, the weeds and the wheat, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be one ending, not a sort of stop, start, stop, start sort of process. Israel will turn to the Lord before Jesus returns, is my view. But rather than call myself a millennial and upset anybody, I'm going to call myself a pan-millennialist. Which means, I don't know how God's going to do it, but it'll all pan out in the end. He is in control, in control, in control. Nothing will take him by surprise. Therefore, as I said, there is only one gospel. Among the Jews will be a turning to the cross in repentance and faith, just as we had to. And they will finally recognise the Messiah King that they failed to recognise when he first came. You know, many of the prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, an analogy, you're standing on a mountain range, you look into the distance and you just see one mountain range. But it's actually a number of mountain ranges with the valleys in between. You know, uh, in the Old Testament prophecy, there's the suffering servant and the mighty king. Uh, you know, how do you reconcile those two? Well, they're happening at different times. Suffering servant came first to fulfill God's purposes, to redeem us. And then he will return and every eye will see him. Well, now the first verse said, Arise, shine, the glory of the Lord be with you. It made me think about... Oops, have I missed something here? Oh yeah, so here it is. Arise and shine, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Wow. And his glory will be seen upon you because he has glorified you. The glory of God. I'm reading Exodus at the moment and there's a Shekinah glory over the tabernacle. Everyone knew when God was in, 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 in residence because it, it, it shone. And it made me think, well, how do I relate to that? How do you relate to that? Well, it made me think of some references. Psalm 34 verse 5. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Now, radiant faces, well, of course, you think of Moses. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. In God's presence, he he took in the glory. He shone. This reminds me of a story I heard many years ago by a guy called Leroy Imes. He used to work in a small Midwest town and it was so small, the train did not stop when it came through. But he had to hold the mailbag out in a forked stick, hold the mailbag out so the engineer would catch it on his way past that little station. Now, the trick they had was they painted that stick with fluorescent paint. And it needed to be put in the electric light for a few minutes so that when it was taken outside to the dark, it could be, it shone. And if you did not put that stick in the light, if you forgot, here comes a train, you took it out without it being shone. He said, have you ever heard a railway engineer cuss and swear? You'll have to stop the train and chug back to pick up the mail. So he had to make sure that stick had plenty of time in the light in order for it to shine, to fulfil its purposes. Brothers and sisters, you do not have any natural shine. I do not have any natural shine. It only comes as we spend time in the presence of the Lord that we will indeed have a countenance that shines. Others will say, Man, you're happy. What's with you? Now, the shining face, of course, that's how Jesus was described when he was transfigured before them. His face shone and their garments became white as light. That we would shine like Jesus. Now, so far I've said we shine like when we spend time in his presence. Let's see if you can figure out who this is a famous painting of. God's glory in the midst of trial. Who's that? Sorry? Stephen. Stephen. Thank you. Well picked. Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, we read, he was brought in for the council for preaching Jesus and they didn't like it. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I wonder what that expression was. If it was this shining. The next chapter of our time, he's preached the story of Israel to them and their rejection of Messiah. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. What amazing grace God extended to Stephen. That he, in the midst of these people, about to kill him, saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Is that familiar? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. Sound familiar? Yeah. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And when he said this, he fell asleep. 
What an amazing, peaceful, incredible way to die such a brutal death of stoning. That God was with him and Stephen did not show fear or beg for his life. Well, that's okay for Stephen. What about us? What about us in our trials? Romans 8, 18, 19. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. One day all creation will see, hey, these are God's chosen people. And whatever we're going through now is nothing in comparison to the incredible reception we'll receive in glory. It's that perspective that's meant to keep us solid in the meantime. There are stories of faith coming out of the Ukraine now. And I suspect we'll hear stories of faith from Queensland, New South Wales. That God's grace is sufficient. We can be praying for each other. You know, this is a a common prayer at the end of any church service. Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the midst of the current trials. Here's what Jerusalem was facing at the time Isaiah wrote chapter 60. And it was a scary picture. In the midst of this, he writes all these promises of restoration and glory. Rise, shine, peace be upon you. It's a perspective, isn't it? It's a perspective. So I thought here, in conclusion, 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The promises that God has made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Israel, okay? The promises he made, they they broke every rule in the book and utterly were faithless, that's all I'll say. And yet God said, I will still achieve my purposes, I'll still fulfill my promise to your forefather Abraham. The land, the descendants, that's us. And the blessing to all nations through the cross. See, here's another passage from Romans. Uh, Galatians, excuse me. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. That's what Paul had said. Who, Galatians, okay, the, the Judaizers had come in and said, you need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul said, no, 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 no. All that matters is the new creation. Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by the Spirit, upon the Israel of God. Now, is he talking to the, about these Jews who are chasing him around the Mediterranean? He's saying to them, you are the Israel of God. In Romans chapter 4, a long chapter about Abraham, the father of Israel. And Paul said, no, 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 he's the father of faith. 
Everyone who has faith is a son of Abraham, a child of Abraham. They're the ones who justify by faith in the gospel of Christ. Father Abraham has many sons, many sons as Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Okay. We are part of the promise, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. In you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. That includes Greek Australians, Indian Australians, Sri Lankan, Indian. You know, we're all in it together, which is fantastic. So I want to share with another couple of promises. This is one of my favorites. 1 Thess 5, 23, 24. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Isn't that amazing? I know my justification is past tense. I have already passed from death to life. My sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. My sanctification, well, I know that's a bit of an up and down process too. Not there yet, but I'm heading in the right direction by the grace of God. But he will bring it to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. He who calls us is faithful. He will do it. He's preparing you for eternity. Hallelujah. And in the meantime, I'll cope with the trials and the challenges and the disappointments and the failures. This is God overlooks them, forgives them. He's looking to, to the eternal reward. So too, I encourage you to have this perspective. Now, the Lord Jesus said in the last night, John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And I, and I go, uh, if it were not so, would I have told you? And I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. Keith Green sings a song. If God took six days to make this incredible world, and Jesus taken 2,000 years to prepare a mansion for us, Novotel, six star. He said, man, this is like living in a garbage can compared to what's going on up there. What we have to look forward to is just amazing. And there he's promises to us. Isn't that amazing? Just as Israel in the midst of Babylonians coming in to wipe them out, Isaiah extends a message, God through Isaiah, extends a message of hope and perspective that he will restore them. The same promises are there to us. Despite COVID, despite the floods, despite Ukraine, despite old age and, you know, bad balance, you know, God is still in control and I am not afraid. My life is in his hands as are yours. And that means I'm in good hands. I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And that's enough for me. So I want to end with one thought. I am the Lord, and in its time, I will hasten it. Oh, come Lord Jesus, the sooner the better, I'll be honest. But he is in control of history.
Now I have here, it made me think of a song, and I want you to sing, we're just going to sing the first verse and chorus, and then we'll stop it, you guys know a bit while. But I'm sure you'll recognize it. Sometimes the day seems long. I trials hard to bear here. Trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. Soon appear to catch his bride Father, we thank you. Lord, our lives are so short, so fleeting. And we think 70, 80 years is a good innings. We've lived a long time and so on. But Lord, we're just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. But Father, you are the eternal one. You've written the end from the beginning. And you have prepared a place for us. You promised us to be reconciled with you, to share with you in glory. Thank you that through faith in Christ, we now have already had a small taste of that. And we're living it now. We have already passed from death to life. Thank you for your amazing promises. Thank you for your promise to keep us and to one day bring us fully into that eternal Jerusalem. And we won't need the sun by day and the moon by light. We'll have you as our light. And we don't need to live in fear because there will be no more conflict or sin. Lord, we happily lay our lives in the palms of your hands and we with confidence look to the future without fear or anxiety about anything. Lord, we know, yeah, that when we walk through the waters, You will be with us, not if we walk through the waters. The tough times are coming, but Lord, that you will keep us and sustain us. Lord, what a wonderful assurance we have in Christ. Help us to always live in light of these promises you give to us. May we lay them up in our hearts and uh, just rejoice in them day by day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.